The Columbia Network takes pride in presenting Orson Welles in the first production of a unique new summer series by the Mercury Theater on the Air. And now, the director of the Mercury Theater, the star and producer of these programs, Orson Welles. Good evening. We are starting off tonight with the best story of its kind ever written. You will find it in every representative library of classic English narrative. It is Bram Stoker's Dracula. The next time I speak to you, I am Dr. Arthur Seward. George Kalouris plays Jonathan Harker, and Martin Gable plays Dr. Van Helsing. It is Dr. Seward who tells the story, so for the moment... Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. I will see you in Transylvania. Mercury Theatre on the Air presents Orson Welles as Count Dracula in his own version of Bram Stoker's great novel, Dracula. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Arthur Seward. I'm here tonight to bear witness to the truth of certain events, which you may find it hard to believe, but I ask you to believe them. I have here certain documents, telegrams, clippings from the press of the day, memoranda, and letters in various hands. All needless matters have been eliminated. Through the history almost at variance with the possibilities of contemporary belief, they stand forth the simple fact. I present you first with excerpts from the private journal of Jonathan Harker. I, Jonathan Harker, lawyer's clerk, article to Peter Hawkins, Esquire of Exeter, England. I am writing this journal in hopes that if misfortune overtakes me, it may one day come to the eyes of those who love me. I set out from London on the last day of April to visit our client in Eastern Europe. On May the 3rd, I arrived in Budapest and came after nightfall to Klausenburg on the border of Transylvania. At B Street, there was a letter of welcome for me from a client informing me that his carriage would await me at Borgo Pass. It was signed, Dracula. Bukovina! Coach for Bukovina! The road was rough, but still, we seemed to fly over it in a feverish haste. When it grew dark, there seemed to be some excitement among the passengers. They kept speaking to the driver and looking at me and urging him on with a greater speed. rocks from its great leather springs. The mountains seemed to come nearer and nearer on either side. Coachman! Coachman! What is it? 
Where are we? You are nearing your destination, young hare. This is the Borgo Pass. There are black rolling clouds overhead, and in the air, the heavy oppressive sense of thunder. Now, we go through the pass. The young hare is not expected after all. tonight, my friend. A calèche with four horses had drawn up beside us. Let me help you, sir. The coachman smiled, and the lamplight fell on a hard-looking mouth with berry red lips and sharp-looking teeth as white as ivory. We began to move. I looked back. The coach with its load of passengers had vanished from sight. We swept into darkness of the pass. I struck a match. It was within a few minutes of Then a dog began to howl somewhere far down the road. The wind was rising, moaning and whistling through the rocks. And the branches of the trees crashed together as we swept along. It grew colder and colder still, and fine powdery white snow began to fall. The baying of wolves sounded nearer and nearer, as if... As if though they were closing in around us... From every side, we kept on ascending, always ascending. The howling of wolves was growing less. The howling of wolves was growing less. Presently, it ceased altogether. And just then, the moon broke through the black clouds. And by its light, I saw around us a ring of wolves running alongside the carriage. In silence, with white teeth and lolling red tongues. With long, sinewy limbs and shaggy hair. must have fallen asleep. The carriage had pulled up in a courtyard of a vast ruined castle. The coachman was nowhere to be seen. Welcome to my house. Come freely, go safely, and leave something of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula? I am Dracula. The face was strong, very strong. The mouth so far as I could see it, under the heavy mustache, was fixed and rather cruel-looking, with particularly sharp white teeth. Hmm. You hear them, Mr. Harker? The wolves? The children of the night. As you say, Mr. Harker, the wolves. Listen. Oh, come now. There are things you must tell me tomorrow. Of England and the estate you have purchased for me. Ah, yes. The estate is called Carfax, I believe. Yes, that is so. Well, now I will detain you no longer. You will find your room in readiness. And I advise you not to leave it during the night. This castle is on the very edge of a terrible precipice. A stone fall from a window would fall a thousand feet without touching anything. 
I explored. There are doors, doors, doors everywhere, all of them locked. The door to the Great Hall, the door to the courtyard, every door in this castle is closed, bolted against me. Castle Dracula is a prison, and I am a prisoner. The next night, I could not sleep, so after a few hours I got up, and lighting my candle, I placed my shaving mirror on the dressing table, and I was just beginning to shave. You feel rested, Mr. Harker. I had not seen him, although the reflection of the mirror covered the whole room behind me. I turned to the glass again. Count Dracula was close to me, and I could see him over my shoulder, but there was no reflection of him in the mirror. It was blank. I started to cut myself on the side of the throat. The blood was trickling down my neck. Ah! My mirror! The blood! The blood! Wipe the blood from your face, Mr. Harker, and take care how you cut yourself. Is this more dangerous than you think in this country? were gone. My passport, my notes, my letter of credit. I could find no trace of them anywhere, and my door was locked from the outside. June 20th. There is work of some kind going on in the castle. Now and then I hear a faraway muffled sound of a mattock and spade. And last night, the second of the three dated letters which Dracula made me write, the second of that series which was to blot out the very traces of my existence from the earth went forth. Count Dracula! Yes, my young friend. Well, what of me? When am I free? When can I leave this place? Free? Mr. Harker, you're always free. You want to leave? Would you like to leave tonight? Yes. Yes, in God's name. My dear young friend, not an hour shall you wait in my house against your will. Come, follow me. Hmm. The door seems to be bolted, how strange. The door is not... In God's name, open it! As you will, Mr. Harker. You English have a proverb which is very close to my heart. Welcome the coming speed departing guests. Good night, Mr. Harker! <laughs> shut the door! Shut the door! Shut it! The door is shut, Mr. Harker. I take it... You will remain.
morning, June 30th. This may be the last word I ever write in this journal. God preserve my sanity. I have never seen Count Dracula by day. At sunrise, at the first cock's crow, he is gone. I, I don't understand these things. I only know that the wolves are baying and that he is a man with hair on the palms of his hands, with sharp teeth and no blood in his face. He casts no shadow. He cannot be seen in glass. And he moves like a bat across the sheer face of the castle walls. He eats no food, and he is mortally afraid of the crucifix. As I write this, I hear in the courtyard the rolling of heavy wheels and the cracking of whips. And there in the passageway below, a pound of heavy boxes being set down. Boxes shaped like coffins. And I know what they hold. The boxes are filled with holy earth from the chapel beneath the castle. The last box is being nailed down. I now hear heavy feet trampling again. The door is shut, and the chains rattle, and the courtyard and down the rocky way. The roll of heavy wheels, the cracking of whips. Help! Wagons have gone. I'm alone in the castle. I'm alone in the castle. I'm alone. I'm alone! I'm alone! Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Seward. Mr. Harker's journal terminates at this point. I now presented to evidence a clipping dated August of that year from the Yorkshire Telegraph and my correspondence in Whitby. One of the greatest and sudden of storms on record was experienced here today. The weather has been somewhat sultry, but Saturday evening was fine, the band was playing, the piers were crowded with holiday makers. The winds went away entirely in the evening, and there was a dead calm. There were but a few lights at sea. The only sail noticeable was a foreign schooner under full canvas that was seemingly going westward. A little after midnight came a strange sound over the sea, and high overhead, the air seemed to carry a strange, faint, hollow booming. Then, without warning, the tempest broke, and there, with all the sails set, was the foreign schooner rushing with terrific speed towards the shore. A searchlight was turned on her, and there, lashed to the helm, was a corpse, with drooping head which swayed horribly to and fro at each motion of the ship. A moment later, she crashed. Then a strange thing was seen. At the very instant she touched, a huge dog sprang up on deck from below, and running forward, jumped from the bow onto the sand, and making straight up the east cliff towards the graveyard, vanished into the night. The coast guard going aboard at dawn found the dead man fastened to the spoke of the wheel, tightly clutched in one hand was a crucifix. The man must have been dead for quite two days. In the pocket of the dead man's coat was found a bottle carefully corked containing a roll of paper. This proved to be an addendum to the ship's log. There was found on board only a small amount of cargo and that of the most unusual nature. Apparently, the ship carried nothing but earth. Common earth. Packed away in wooden boxes. Shaped much like coffins.
log of their Demeter. Russian flag, Black Sea to Whitby. July 6th, finished taking in cargo, a queer cargo, boxes of earth. At noon set sail, east wind fresh, crew four hands, two mates, cook and myself captain. July 11th, entered Bosporus, at dark passed through Dardanelles, mate reported in morning that one of the crew, by Odin, was missing. Took larboard watch eight bells last night. He was relieved by Talisan, who never came to his bunk. There's something aboard this ship. <laughs> no, don't laugh, Captain. In the rain last night. Oh? A tall, thin man go up the companionway along the deck forward and disappear. When I go to the bow, no one. And the hatchways, all closed. July 22nd. Rough weather last three days. All hands busy with sails. No time be frightened. Past Skybota and out through straits. All well. July 24th. Last night. Another hand was lost. Disappeared. Like Talisan. He came off his watch at midnight. We never see him again. You take your watch now. I don't take watch alone no more. Nor will I. Nor will I. No more. Double watch. Double watch. July 29th. Had single watch tonight as crew too tired to double. When morning come... Hey! Hey! Balaki! Balaki! Balaki below! Balaki! Where are the guns? Malaki gone, like the others. Like all the others. The mate and I have agreed to go armed henceforth. July 30th. Last night, we are nearing England. Weather fine. All sails set. Captain! Captain! The men on watch are missing! More missing! Now... Only self and mate and one hand left to work ship. August 3rd. Two days of fog and not a sail sighted. At midnight I went to relieve the man at wheel and when I got to it I found no one there. It's here. I know it now. I saw it. Like a man. Tall and thin, ghastly pale. He was in the bows looking out. I gave him my knife, but the knife went right through it. Empty is there. What? What are you talking about? It's here, and I'll find it. It's in the hold. It's in one of those boxes of earth. I'll unscrew them one by one and see. And see! He is mad. Stark raving mad. It's no use my trying to stop him. He can't hurt those big boxes there in voice as common earth. He's there. Down in the hold. I know the secret now. The sea will save me from him. It's all that's left. It's all that's left. 
August 4th. I am all alone on my ship, and still the fog. I dare not go below. I dare not leave the helm. So here, all night I stayed. And in the dimness of the night, I saw it. I saw him. God forgive me, but the mate was right to jump overboard. It was better to die like a sailor in the blue water. But I am captain, and I must not leave my ship. I have tied my hands to the wheel when my strength begins to fail, and along with them I shall tie that which it dare not touch. My crucifix. I am growing weaker, and the night is coming on. God and the Blessed Virgin help a poor ignorant soul trying to do his duty. Seward, Perfleet, Van Helsing, Amsterdam. Lucy Westenra in alarming condition. Cannot diagnose. Come at once. Seward. Telegram. Van Helsing, Amsterdam to Seward, Perfleet. I am on my way to you. Please arrange for me to examine your patient immediately on my arrival. Van Helsing. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall now explain the six months before the events recorded here. I had become engaged to a young lady, Lucy Westenra. We were to be married in the spring. My old teacher, Professor Van Helsing, arrived at four the next afternoon. I took him at once to Lucy's house. She lay in her bed asleep. She was ghastly, chalky pale. The red had even seemed to have gone from her lips and gums. The bones of her face stood out. Young miss is bad. Very bad. She must have blood or she will die. She is not anemic. The qualitative analysis of her blood is quite normal condition. It is strange. I do not like to think how strange. Look! My god, her throat, look! The black velvet band that she always wore dragged up a little and showed a red mark on her throat. Just over the external jugular vein were two punctures. Not large, but not wholesome-looking. The edges were white and worn-looking. Well, well, what is it, Professor? What's wrong with her? Speak frankly. You know you can tell me the worst. I wish I could, Stuart. I wish I could. But I do not dare. But won't you tell me anything? I will tell you this. Your young lady is in a danger greater than death. You must believe me. If you leave her for one moment and harm befalls, you will not sleep easy thereafter.
September 8th. I sat up all night with Lucy. My dear, you can sleep tonight. I'm here watching you. Nothing can happen. And I promise that any sign of bad dreams, if I see anything, I'll wake you at once. Will you? Will you really? Then I'll sleep. I sat all night by her bedside. She did not wake once during the night. Although the boughs or bat or something slapped almost angrily against the window pane. September 11th. Still quoting from my private journals. This time I received a message from Perfleet. It read, 10.20 p.m. St. John's Hospital. Serious complications. Case 891. Your immediate presence in London imperative. I had no choice. Sometime later, a paper was found among Lucy Westenro's belonging. I wrote this to leave it to be seen so that no one might get into trouble from me. I went to bed as usual, taking care that the window was closed and Dr. Van Helsing had directed. About two in the morning, I awakened. I went to the door, called out, Arthur! Arthur! There was no answer. Something's broken the window. I'm in the room alone. I dare not go out. The house seems to be empty. The air, full of specks, floating, circling the draft of the window. The light burns blue, dim. What am I to do? Something very sweet and very bitter all around me. Like I'm singing to deep water. They're singing in my ears. You shall be flesh of my flesh. Blood of my blood. <gasps> September 12th. Late. Only resolution and habit can let me make an entry tonight. We found her sprawled on the floor, and there was a draft in the room from a broken window. Her throat was bare, showing two wounds looking horribly white and mangled. We are too late, my friend. We have failed. God's will be done. She is dying. Yes, she is dying. Stay beside her. It will make much difference. Mark me. Whether she dies conscious or in her sleep, It was late in the afternoon before she opened her eyes. Arthur, oh my love, I'm so glad you've come. I took her hand and knelt beside her. Her breath came and went like a tired, peaceful child. And then the light from the setting sun fell on her face, and then insensibly, a strange change came over her. Her eyes were suddenly dull and hard. Her breathing was heavy, her mouth opened, and the pale gums drawn back made the teeth look sh large and sharp. Arthur, ah, oh, my love, I'm so glad you've come. Kiss me. Bend down and kiss Not me. Not on your life! 
Not for your living soul and hers. Lucy! She's dead. Poor girl. Lie in peace at last. It is the end. Not so. It is only the beginning. Wait and see. Extra special! Extra special! The Kensington Horror! Westminster Gazette, September 25th. A Hampstead Mystery. The Kensington Horror and the Woman in Black are vividly recalled to mind by a series of events that have taken place recently in the neighborhood of Hampstead. Several cases have occurred of young children straying from home or failing to return from playing on the heath. In all these cases, the children have given this as their excuse that they've been with a beautiful lady who offered them chocolates. In each case, the child was found to be slightly torn or wounded in the throat. The wounds seemed such as might be made by a rat or a small dog. Extra special, extra, Hampstead Horror, read about the beautiful lady, extra special. The Hampstead Horror, another child injured by the beautiful lady. We have just received intelligence that another child missed last night was only discovered late in the morning. It has the same tiny wound in the throat. Well, Stuart, what do you think of that? You mean to tell me, my friend, that you still have no suspicions as to what poor Lucy died of? Nervous prostration followed on great loss or waste of blood. And how was the blood lost or wasted? You are a clever man, my friend, and a good doctor. But you do not believe that there are things that you cannot understand. You are wrong, Stuart! Are you aware of all the mysteries of life and death? Can you tell me why in the pampas there are bats that come at night and open the veins of cattle and horses and suck dry those veins? How on some islands of the western seas there are bats which hang on trees all day and then when the sailors sleep on deck because it is hot sweep down on them and then in the morning I found dead men, as right as Miss Lucy was. I, I understand none of these things. After tonight, Stuart, if you dare to come with me, perhaps you will understand. September 29th, before dawn. Now it is done. And I would sooner die a thousand deaths than to have to live again what I did this night. We will spend the night, you and I, here in this churchyard where Miss Lucy is buried. And then? We enter the tomb. We open the coffin. You shall yet be convinced. Take care, Van Helsing. Miss Lucy is dead. Is it not so? Then there can be no wrong to her. But if she's not with some difficulty, we found the western tomb. 
took up my place behind a yew tree on one side of the tomb, Van Helsing on the other. I was chilled and frightened. Suddenly, I saw something moving between two yew trees. A dim white figure which held something at its breast. The figure stopped. I could not see the face where it was bent down over what I saw to be a fair-haired child. It was a sharp little cry, such as a child gives in sleep or a dog's that lies before a fire in dreams. And the thing saw us. She drew back with an angry snarl. Her lovely blood-stained mouth grew to an open square. If ever a face meant death, I saw it at that moment. And suddenly she turned and vanished in the direction of the tomb. The child is unharmed. We'll leave him in a safe place where the police find him. There's more to do. Come! Now we're in a tomb. There in the coffin, the thing lay. Like a nightmare of Lucy. The pointed teeth, the blood-stained mouth. And Helsing never looked up. From his bag he took out a book, his operating knife, a heavy hammer, and a round wooden stake. Two or three inches thick, sharpened to a fine point and hardened over a fire. Seward, the life of this unhappy woman has just begun. Then she becomes what you call undead. There comes with the change, the curse of immortality. She cannot die, but must go on age after age, adding new victims, because all that die from the praying of the undead become themselves undead and prey on others. So the circle goes on, ever widening, as of the ripples from a stone thrown into the water. But... Yes? If this lady, this... Undead, be made to rest as true dead. Then the soul of the poor lady whom we love should be again free. Take this stake in your left hand, the hammer in your right. Place the point over the heart. Here? Then, when I begin the prayer for the dead, in God's name strike. Are you ready? Now. Domine il caelo obsecro ut ipleviscaris popenum et creatura sua peccata nos unio. Spiritus Sancti. Amen. On the morning of July 11th, a man was found on the border of Transylvania. He talked wildly of wolves and boxes of earth and blood. He gave his name as Jonathan Harker. In a hospital at Klausenburg, he improved sufficiently to make possible his removal to England. I'm still quoting from my personal papers. But then his condition remained so serious that he was committed for observation to a private ward in my hospital at Perfleet. Here he did so well that in three weeks he was completely recovered. It was during this time that his wife, Mina Harker, brought to the attention of Dr. Van Helsing and myself the journal that her husband had kept while 
the prisoner in the castle of a certain Count Dracula in Transylvania. I have before me the record of a meeting that took place in my study at Perfleet, transcribed by Mina Harker. October 1st. Meeting again. Ten after eight. Jonathan next to me, Dr. Stewart. Afterwards, and Dr. Van Helsing at the head of the table. My friends, there are such things as vampires. Had I known at first what now I know, one so precious a life would have been spared for the many of us who love her. The vampire which is amongst us is himself so strong that he can direct all the elements, the storm, the fog, the thunder. He can command all the meaner things, the mortal bat, the owl, the fox and the wolf. How then are we to begin our stride to destroy him? How shall we find his place? And having found it, how can we destroy? My friends, it is a terrible task that we undertake. To fail here is not mere life or death. If we fail, we become as him. Foul things of the night, as him. What do I you say? I answer for myself. I'm with Professor you. Come near. Or golden crucifix on the table. We took hands. We took hands, and our solemn pact was made. My friends, we too are not without strength. The vampire flourishes on the blood of the living. Without this, he cannot live. He throws no shadow. He makes no reflection in a mirror. He can transform himself to a wolf, to a bat. He can come on moonlit rays as elemental dust. He can see in the dark. He can do all these things, yet he is not free. His power ceases at the coming of the day. Then, until night, he must remain in the shape in which he finds himself, and except in his coffin home, in those earth boxes, he cannot rest. When we can confine him in his coffin, then, my friends, if we obey what we know, we will destroy him! Did you hit it? I don't know. We looked out the window. Against the black sky, you could see nothing. Data are now positioned. From the Count's castle in Transylvania to Whitby came 50 boxes of earth. All of these, to our certain knowledge, were delivered at Carfax. Recently, 12 of these boxes have been removed. First step, ascertain whether all the rest remain in the deserted house next door, or whether any more have been removed. We must break each of these boxes and sterilize the earth with holy water so he can no longer seek safety in it. And we must hurry! The events of the next few days are transcribed in Jonathan Harker's journal. October 2nd, 5 a.m. Just returned from an empty house. Left Mina here at home. Well, we've done our work at Carfax. 
The place was filthy and the air stagnant and foul and alive with rats. We counted the boxes, only 38 of them. And over each one, the professor went through his same mysterious work. It was dawn when we got back and I found Mina asleep. She looks paler than usual. October 2nd. Soon after they left, I fell asleep. I remember hearing a sudden barking of dogs. And then it was silent. I got up and looked out the window. There was a thin streak of white mist moving across the grass along the wall of the house. It dawned on me that the air in the room was heavy and dank and cold. The gaslight came only like a tiny red spark in the fog. I could see through my eyelids. The mist grew thicker and thicker and then I looked and a spark divided and it seemed to shine on me through the fog like two red eyes. You shall be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood, blood of my blood. October 2nd, 8 p.m. We are on the track. Twelve boxes were delivered to an empty house at 337 Piccadilly. My dear friends, until the sun tonight, Dracula must retain whatever form he now has. We have this day to hunt out all his lairs and sterilize them. Then he will have no place he can move and hide. But we have only until sunset. The house in Piccadilly was empty, like the one at Perfleet. The same sickening smells in the air. On the table we found a clothes brush, a brush and a comb, and a basin. The latter containing dirty water, which was reddened as if with blood. The boxes are back here. Eight, nine, ten, eleven. Only eleven? There's a twelfth box here somewhere. Gentlemen, it is after six. The sun is setting. With no time to lose, he will return at any moment. Open the boxes! Quiet. Listen. Here it is. Listen. Here it is. It is he! The window! You waste your bullets, gentlemen. You think you baffle me, you with your pale faces all in a row like sheep in a butcher's. You think you have left me without a place to rest, but I have more. And time's on my side. The one you love is mine already. I have known her. Already my mark is on her throat. Flesh of my flesh. Blood of my blood. She is with me always, over land or sea.
We must find that last remaining box, gentlemen. We must find it. As long as that earth exists and impure, as long as there remains one place of refuge for Dracula, there is no safety. There is no safety and no peace for any soul in England. And for the dead, never peace so long as he lives. Blood of my blood, blood of my blood. Mina! Mina! How do you know that? Quiet, quiet! With me always, over land and sea. Mina, darling, how did you know that Dracula said those? I don't know. The words just came. Strange. There are times when somehow I feel that I am with him. At sunset? Yes, just at sunset, and again at sunrise. Dr. Van Helsing, if I could... If at those times you... Have you the courage? The courage for what? What do you mean? Dr. Van Helsing here will question me. I will question her, yes, in a state of hypnosis. The one you love is already mine, he said. She is with me always, over land or sea. Dracula, perhaps she will betray you if she is really with you. This one we love, who knows if she is really with you over land or sea. Blood of my blood. Mina, answer me, Mina. Are you with him? Yes. Yes, I am with him. Where are you? I do not know. It's all dark. What do you hear? The lapping of water. I can hear it on the outside. Then you are on a ship? Yes. What else do you hear? There's the creaking of an anchor chain. What are you doing? Still. Oh, so still. It's like death. It is like death. Oh, so still. It's like death. It is like death. Here is a report from the Matson Peabody. Shipbrokers. Dated October 5th. According to Lloyd's list, the only sailing ship that left for the Black Sea yesterday was the Tsarina Katarina, bound for Varna. Somehow before she sailed, a man came alongside, all in black, driving a cart with a great box in it. This he lifted down, single-handed, and carried below. No one remembers having seen him after that. A heavy mist came up over a doolittle dock until sailing time. The rest of London Harbor remained completely clear. Our plans are made. The average sailing time from London to the Black Sea is three weeks. We could travel over land to the same place in three days. We shall be there waiting for him when he arrives. October 15th. Arrived Varna about five o'clock. Mina feels stronger. Every morning before sunrise and just before sunset, she speaks to Van Helsing in a trance. Are you with him, Mina? I am with him. What can you see? 
Nothing. All is dark. What can you hear? I can hear the waves lapping against the ship. And the water rushes by. The wind is high. I can hear it in the shrouds and the foam. So, Zarina Katarina is still at sea. Hastily to Varna. The Count cannot cross running water, so we cannot leave the ship without being observed. What can you hear? Lapping waves and rushing water. Darkness. Darkness. A whole week of waiting. Dated telegram from Lloyd's. Not yet reported. Not yet reported. Not yet reported. Not yet reported. Rushing water. Rushing water. Creeping darkness. Darkness and wind. October 24th. Telegram. Lloyds. London to Harker. Zarina Katrina reported this morning from Dardanelles. Lloyds. London to Harker. October 28th. Zarina Katrina and Heavy Fog reported entering Galatz Harbor at one o'clock today. Galatz! Galatz is 38 hours from here, and the first train for Galatz leaves at 6.30 tomorrow morning. My friends, we have lost! October 29th, evening. We are due between 2 and 3 in the morning, but already at Bucharest we are three hours late. What's going on? I feel something passing me like a cold wind. I can hear far off, confused sounds, as men talking in strange tongues. Fierce falling water and howling of wolves. There's another sound. How queer a sound, like... Like... Like what? Speak, me. Speak, I command you! I command you to speak! Arrived at Galatz. Saw the captain and Tsarina Katerina. Welcome aboard. We are over an hour before sunup. We received a box for a party by the name of Dracula. Had his papers right? Manuel Hindelsheim, his name was. Mr. Hindelsheim? Yes. You unloaded a box yesterday? I got that from Kyalov by order. Kyalov. Mr. Kyalov? Oh, no. 
This morning they find him dead inside the churchyard of St. Peter. They find him dead with his throat torn open. October 30th, evening. There are two ways in which Dracula can get back to his own place, by land or by water. We've examined the map and found the most likely river is the Seraph. You and I, Stuart, will charter a steam launch and fall him up the river. Van Helsing and Mina will take a train to Vereshti, and from there... From there, we shall go in the track where Harker went to be Bistritza over to Borgo. If you had not caught him before, we shall be meeting Dracula there. October 31st. We arrived at Virsetti at noon. Van Helsing and I brought the carriage here. We started in an hour. Our enemy is still on the river. October 31st. We can earn good speed of the river at night. There's plenty of water and the banks are wide apart. November 1st, evening. No news all day. We hear that a big boat went up the river before us, going at more than usual speed. November 4th. All day driving. The country gets wilder as we go. I morning we should reach Borgo Pass. November the 4th, evening. We have left the launch. We've got horses and we have followed the track along the river. We are armed. Look! Quick! There they are now! Heading west! Through the dawn we could see the Slovaks, some miles before us, dashing along the river with a wagon. On the great rocks. Late in the afternoon, we leave the border pass. Van Helsen, look! Look! We see two horses following fast, coming up from the south, Seward and Harker. The Slovaks, with their heavy wagons, are losing their ground. Now they must not be more than a mile behind. Now the wagon is closer. Now the wagon is quite closer. We can see the great box laying gravely. Now they are almost upon us. strange thing. 
The wagon smashed into a great rock, buried in the snow, lost its front wheel and turned over on its side, jammed against the stone. The horses tore loose from their traces and bolted, and the Slovaks scattered and vanished after them. Then silence. Silence like comes after Ring a bell. Look, his face. It is Dracula. Sprawled out stiff and twisted in the smear of his own holy earth. The box in falling has emptied the dirt onto the snow. His face is old looking. His skin is like paper. Dr. Stewart, there is no time. Look at the sun! Sunset. In one minute it is sunset and he is forever lost to us. Have you the stake of wood in the hammer? Yes. Now, Stuart, pray for us. Kneel down and pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, Stuart, pray for us. Kneel down and pray. Harker, the stake of wood over his heart. Be not afraid, Harker. Do not look into his eyes. The hammer... Now, Harker, strike! Strike! Flesh. Flesh of my flesh. Guilt of my guilt. Death of my death. Speak and be manifest in the instant of your master's peril. Elements of darkness. Rain. Evil wind. Mist and mold and tempests. Strike, Harker! Strike! The others couldn't, but somehow I can hear him speaking behind his eyes. Claw, wing, tool, scale, tissue of flesh, death of my death, dead and undead. The hand of the living is over your master. Console me, my children. This instant is no longer than the space between two heartbeats. But the night is not here, and I am lonely. Come to your master, my children. Beguile him now in the instant of his peril. Beguile him with the sound of your names. Claw, wing, tooth, scale, tissue of flesh, claw, wing, tooth, scale, tissue of flesh. Strike, Harker, strike! There is one very dear to me who is not answered. My love, me. There is less than a minute between me and the night. You must speak for me. You must speak with my heart. Give them to me. Jonathan, give them to me. Give me the stick of wood and the hammer. Harker! I shall never forget that moment. The look on poor Mina's face as she stood there. The angry scar standing out on her throat. Her eyes like living coals in the last red of the sunset. She had torn the stake and hammer out of my hands with the strength of an animal. Mina, do you know what you have done, woman? Do you know what you have done to us? You've released him. The evil is free. Look at the sun. As we looked down at Dracula, the eyes saw the sinking sun, and the hate in them turned to triumph. 
Ladies and gentlemen, all the evidence is now before you. I've added nothing, and to the best of my knowledge, I have omitted nothing that might help to throw light upon the extraordinary events of the year 1891, which called to meet on that terrible evening in the Borgo Pass. There remains only this one last report. When Mina Harker seized the stake and hammer from her husband, I believe she was under some form of hypnosis. She herself remembers nothing. But whatever influence was at work on her, she must at the last moment have rejected it. For at the exact instant the sun disappeared, it was Minna Harker who drove the stake through the heart of the thing that called itself Dracula. At that same instant, even as we looked, the wound on the side of her throat was no more. As for Dracula, before the screams of the creature had died from our ears, the whole body crumbled into dust and passed from our sight. In the final moment of the solution, there was, in the face, a look of peace, such as I could never have imagined might have rested there. Tonight's production of Dracula by Orson Welles in the Mercury Theatre was the first of nine CBS broadcasts in which this brilliant group will bring to life a series of great narratives, all presented in the immediacy of the first-person singular. In presenting them each Monday at this time during the summer season, the Columbia Network is bringing a complete theatrical producing company to the air for the first time. And now, here's the director to tell you about next week's Mercury Theatre production. Mr. Orson Welles. Ladies and gentlemen, what are your favorite stories? If there is one you are particularly fond of and like to hear on the air, would you please write me about it? Next week, the Mercury Theater is going to tell you Robert Louis Stevenson's exciting yarn about pirates in the sea, Treasure Island. Until then, just in case Count Dracula has left you a little apprehensive, one word of comfort. When you go to bed tonight... Don't worry. Put out the lights and go to sleep. It's all right. You can rest easy. That's just a sound effect. Wait, there. Over there in the shadows. See? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. I think it's nothing. But always remember... Ladies and gentlemen, there are wolves, there are vampires, such things.
do exist. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.